National University is a military-friendly college offering tuition discounts for over 75 programs with 100% online options. Visit nu.edu slash project. In this episode of the Panjway Podcast, we sit down with the man himself, Tom Evans. Tom was a team leader in 1st Platoon, whose path to 164 is unique in that he came from another unit just weeks before we deployed. We talk about his previous deployment to Iraq with 2-7 Infantry and how it was compared to the Afghanistan deployment. Tom served for a time at the Panjway District Center until he came back to us in 1st Platoon. Tom was much respected and a well-loved NCO in the 1st Platoon ranks and someone the men of our platoon looked to for guidance. We talked to him about earning his, quote, real CIB, the complexities of the fight in Panjway, as demonstrated in one particular day of the deployment, and the operation deemed Throat Chop, where Tom stepped up as a squad leader and helped us through one of the most difficult days of the deployment. So join us for part one of two as we sit down and talk with Tom Evans. Well, I say we kick this thing off, boys. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, sitting here in Alaska with the one, the only, the infamous <laughs> Tom fucking Evans. Mm. Yes, here I am, uh, the man himself. The man himself. I like words barely describe how much it means to be able like to spend time with Tom. And I'm sorry, Luke, that you missed out. <laughs> I'm, I'm so jealous. Uh, but it is. It's just been an immense pleasure to have him here. And thanks, man. Um, I also apologize to Eric Clark and Miguel Perez because we have seen way more moose. Yeah. And <laughs> way more. Uh, Quite a few. I think I've I've seen like 10 since I've been here and we actually yeah. were driving back to your house yesterday and we parked about five feet away five from feet, one. Yeah. And it was just sitting there chewing on bark and yeah. kissing at it and it looked over at us. And yeah. Well, Curtis now has yard so, moose. Yeah. yeah, he met the yard moose. I met them. I was okay. uh, halfway through my morning ritual. Mm-hmm. And he came and knocked on the door and was like, hey, pinch it off. Get out here. There's <laughs> two moose outside. <laughs> so I ran outside real quick in, uh, in like 10 degree weather with a t-shirt and shorts on and shoes half on. Stood up there and looked at the moose for a few minutes. It was cool. Yeah, nice. It was cool. Yeah, Very cool. cool. Yeah, it was really cool. We've had really, we've had unusually clear weather too. Mm-hmm. So like the mountains have been out and like, mm-hmm. you know, some really pretty sunsets and sunrises. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's been pretty cool. Yeah, it's been cool. Um, you know, Tom, it's, uh, <clears throat> we're now at this point, you know, 12, 13 episodes deep and, uh, your name has come up many times. So our audience may be familiar with who you are by name, but mm-hmm. could you just kind of give us a little bit of your background, like how you end up joining the army, um, and then how you kind of ended up in such a weird cha- turn of events, Yeah, ending up <laughs> at Bravo company one six four going to Afghanistan in 2012. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I joined the army in, uh, 2008. Uh, prior to that, I was working as an EMT. Uh, I was doing 911 in uh, New Jersey, uh, all over the state. Uh, starting to kind of get burnt out with the job. Um, wanted to do something different. Uh, like I had said, my dad, like you guys know, my dad's a Vietnam vet. Uh, a lot of people in my uh, family were in the military, be it Army, you know, Air Force, Marines, whatever. Uh, so I, I kind of always wanted to do it. And I was in a position where I felt that... Um, 
it was a good time in my life. I was 20 years old, didn't have too much going on besides, you know, my, my EMS stuff and uh, wanted to change. So I went to the recruiter's office and uh, told them I wanted to uh, be infantry and I wanted to leave as soon as possible. They told me that um, infantry was, wasn't available immediately. I would have had to wait about six, seven months to, uh, excuse me, to um, go to basic training. They were, so they wanted me to go into delayed entry program. And I was kind of nervous about that, thought maybe, well, you know, if I do the delayed entry program, I might, might change, change my mind. Yeah, I might change my <laughs> mind. I might be like, or get that. Because right. I had been applying for fire jobs. I had actually had just applied for FDNY. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fire department in New York, in, in New York City, to do EMS for them, and I was getting hired. I was in the process of starting to work for them, but the pay was kind of bad, um, and you know, I just ended up doing that instead. So who knows? <laughs> I could have been a firefighter in New York instead of sitting here right now. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I um, went to the recruiter's office. They said there was the delayed entry program. I wasn't interested, so they're like, "Oh well, why don't you?" Uh, do 18 x-ray you can be special forces and be cool and you know eat snakes and right. and run around in civilian clothes with a beard and do cool guy stuff and whatever and i was like oh that would be cool so he kind of you know and at the same time he told me he's like well and if you do that you can leave in three weeks hmm. you don't have to wait six months and he's like and at the end of the day if you don't want to do special forces you're going through infantry training so they're going to make you infantry anyway right so i was like Cool. Win-win. Yeah. And uh, so joined in, uh, was it December of 08? Left like right after New Year's in January uh, 2009. You know, went to Benning, got through OSIT. Um, at OSIT, you know, we from there we went to Airborne Hold. We didn't go to Airborne School. And while I was waiting to go to Airborne School, they got us all together and they said, hey, you know, we know some of you guys – you know, you've been doing the infantry thing for the past, you know, what was it? I forget, 14 weeks. Sure, yeah. Um, so, you know, some guys just want to be infantry and, and they like that and they want to do it. And that's fine. And to be honest with you, like a very small percentage of you are going to make it anyway. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> here's your opportunity. If this is what you want, you'll still go to airborne school and you'll probably go to Bragg, Campbell or Alaska or Hawaii. And I was like, awesome. Sounds great. Like one of the biggest things I always want to do is airborne school. So I was like, this is perfect. You know, and I'll go yeah. to Bragg, which is a base, you know, I kind of wanted to go to because it was somewhat close to home, still on the East Coast. And and you didn't know any better. Didn't know any better <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Uh, but uh, so I, I did it. And the day before airborne hold, they came into the barracks and we're like, hey, uh, all those guys that raised their hands, come with us. <laughs> we were like, okay. So they brought us out, brought us into the little office near Airborne Hold. And they were like, all right, well, bad news. Guys aren't going to Airborne School. Uh, you, 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 and me, you're going to Fort Stewart. <laughs> and I was like, where's Fort Stewart? And they were like, Savannah, Georgia. And I was like, God damn it. Because <laughs> I was just so excited to get out of Georgia. I was like, I'm almost done. I'm going to get yeah. out of the South. I'm going to go somewhere cool and right across the state. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, I like to tell people that's how I went from getting the big, uh, got the big green weenie and started getting the blue and uh, white striped one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, the ubiquitous Marn missile. The Marn missile. <laughs> so yeah, so got the Stuart. Um Let's see. I was, you know, airborne or er, was in a reception. 
and got sent to a 27 infantry. So I was in 27 infantry prior to coming to you guys. Hmm. Where you got your deployment to Iraq in. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I did that. I was there for like, let's see, about four or five months. And we deployed to Iraq. Uh, went to Iraq as a saw gunner. We were in Baghdad province uh, for the whole deployment. We, we bounced around the province. Uh, I was at JSS War Eagle for about five months. Then we spent about three to four weeks at, uh, I forget which base it was, but it was the Biop complex, the airport complex, so Victory or Liberty or yeah. one of those bases. I forget which one. It's, it's been a while. Uh, only there very briefly. And then uh, from there, we went to Nasir Wasalam. It's another JSS. It was like right down the road from Abu Ghraib. So, excuse me, did that deployment from, what was it, December till 09 to December 2010. Our military careers are almost like exactly aligned in terms yeah. of timing. Like I joined in mm-hmm. November of 08. Yeah. And deployed in October of 09. And yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's weird. Because I think the brigades were only offset by like okay. a month or two. Yeah. It seemed like they would they would just want to have like that one brigade back while mm-hmm. everyone else is downrange and then yeah. keep cycling through. Um, yeah, because I remember hearing about you guys up in Mosul. Mm-hmm. And we heard about your that you said that one the one tick you guys had up there for that deployment, and I yeah, heard that kind of gassed yeah, us up because yeah. we were like, "Oh man, we're we're going to the shit," and you know it's going to be crazy. And then we also had a bunch of so the way it worked for me was I got attached. They took my squad, split us in half, and they put half of us with tankers, and the other half they reattached to a different company. It was it was kind of strange how they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was with a bunch of tankers and all the tankers were OF one vets and, you know, they've been to Iraq like 6 million times and they were just like, it was the first time they were going back to Baghdad mm-hmm. since the invasion. So they were like gassing us up, gassing us up. Like, it's going to be crazy. And then we heard your guys about your guys tick and they were just like, it's going to be nuts and show up. And then it's just like, well, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty much like we were like cops for like yeah. a year. We just drove around and, and, you know, we, we did a few like counter IED things and we, we did kick like one or two doors, but it wasn't like, it was yes. mainly, you know, we're doing it with the Iraqi army guys, the IA or the IP mm-hmm. Iraqi army, Iraqi police. Yeah. Um, but it, it was very uneventful deployment, you know, just a few IEDs, um, so I think your, your deployment was, uh, what's interesting about your deployment to Iraq versus mine is that you actually, you got your CIB. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's kind of a, that's an embarrassing story. Um, please continue to tell us yeah, can... <laughs> so that we can further the narrative of the people that are in denial that people don't get bullshit CIB. Yeah. Okay. Cause so, they do. Yeah. Here's I will be example. the first one to attest to it because I, Thomas, William Evans, Sergeant Retired U.S. Army, have a bullshit CIB. <laughs> uh, so the way I got my CIB was those those three or four weeks we were at um, the Biop Complex, whatever, as I said, Victory Liberty, I don't remember which one. Uh, we were mm-hmm. ripping in with a new unit, but it was kind of unique because we ripped in then and then we ripped in like a month later because we were taking over a battalion size AO with a company. Because this is when Iraq was down. I mean, you know, this is when Iraq was downsizing. They were closing all the JSSs and the cops, and and trying to keep it, you know, get it as small as possible. You know, low, you know, reduce our footprint in the country. Sure. So we were ripping in with, I believe it was second ID, um, and uh, we were driving around the Iron Triangle, 
which is a pretty notorious uh, area of IEDs in Iraq. Uh, they call it that because it's just it's a it's a nightmare for those the 88 mics, you know, driving your your shrimp scampi up the highway, you know, because they're <laughs> always getting hit by IEDs constantly. Yeah. So they were showing us the area. And uh, as we were going through one, I forget what road it was. I don't know if it was. Uh, it doesn't matter, but it major road in Iraq and the Iron Triangle and an EFP went off on our convoy. So it didn't hit my truck, but it hit the truck in front of me. Uh, very lightly wounded the gunner, but other than that, everybody was fine. Like he was good. He wasn't messed up bad whatsoever. Uh, just like a few like nicks and stuff here. I think he had sure. a little, little chunk out of his leg or something. It was very minor. Uh, and then as soon as that went off, they sprayed like probably like three or four rounds, probably just like over a wall, like, mm-hmm. you know, guess fire. Yeah, just yeah. Whatever. And that was it. And, we well, came back. Got shot at. Yeah, I guess yeah. you know, but I don't even think they yeah. were shooting at it. I mean, that, for all in all reality, I mean, whoever's been to Iraq, you know, Luke, you know, you hear gunshots all the time because it's a yeah. it's it's a big area. It's their cities, their major cities. So you might just have someone going outside shooting a gun, or you might have like a Iraqi police guy accidentally squeezing the trigger on his AK. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. So who knows? Because I didn't hear cracks. I didn't hear whizzes. So- so what you're telling me is that I got shortchanged because when I was on Gate Guard in Missoula, a rocket landed like 300 meters away, and I didn't get my CIB. Cap Kitchen pushed it. I'm gonna have to. I'm actually gonna have them retrofit it for me. You know? Yeah, yeah. Let's go and replace that awesome firefight where you you were literally (laughs) just like traded rounds with the enemy at point blank range. But let's let's substitute that for a mortar. (laughs) But it's funny because it says. uh, I think the reason why they did it for us was because our company commander was out with us, and he had had his CIB already. But I Mm -hmm. think he was trying to hook up his like his guys. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, I get. At least he was trying to because I mean, at the end of the day, he had his CIB. Yeah. Super squared away, dude. So like, um, if you hadn't gotten it that day, you wouldn't gotten on the deployment. No, right. Yeah, no. But yeah. I also thought it was unfair because you have guys like so like Pfeiffer and Morales who also have done our, did our Afghanistan deployment with us. They were at this JSS called Istical, and they got rocketed and mortared, dude, every day, and not outside the wire, like in the wire. Mm-hmm. Like they were like running to the bunkers constantly, like every night they were getting hit, and they didn't get anything nothing which i feel that was way more deserving than mine i'm in a convoy and the convoy gets hit by an efp right you know and it's yeah it is i guess by definition you you took because like right on my cib it says like engaged by hostile you know forces in iraq you know something (laughs) al-qaeda something whatever (laughs) um you know, and it's by an EFP, an explosively forward penetrating device. <laughs> and it's just like, you look at it and you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, and then, yeah. you know, especially going to the Afghanistan deployment and like, you know, doing like your, some of your guys' CIBs. Like, I know I did Pfeiffer's when he got his. Yeah. I did the paperwork for it and it was like engaged by hostile forces and returned fire in Panjway, Afghanistan against the Taliban. It's like, oh, it's cool. And mine's just like, oh. well i remember being a little bit embittered Mm -hmm. that i didn't get mine in iraq but little did i know i would Mm -hmm. earn him i would earn it it was tenfold yeah it's crazy too how people get so like you know they're so upset and it's like that was my chance and i missed it and and i think you'll never get it and then when you start getting it you know when you first get it you're excited and then when you keep getting it every day (laughs) for (laughs) seven months you're like yeah i'm over this (laughs) like i'm I'm good i know um you know, it was, it was kind of funny because when we deployed to Iraq, you know, you remember 
and NTC. Well, actually, never mind. I forgot you weren't with the unit yet. Oh, yeah, you were, weren't you? Yeah. They had the kind of come to Jesus moment. And I talked about this in the first episode. Yeah. But like when we deployed to Iraq, we had a similar talk in, in NTC, but it was the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like we're going into the shit and people are going to get fucked up and, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. It was like, well, guys, uh, hate to tell you, but you're probably not going to get your CIBs. <laughs> so it was just like, oh man, because everybody obviously wants to, wants to get into the shit unknowingly yeah, the and through yeah. a healthy dose of naivety. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, because you, you meet people that, uh, like I even met a guy after I got out and I was taking a fire class in, in San Diego, like a fire academy class. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I did kind of feel bad in some ways. So he was a, he was 11 Bravo. He was in for three years, but he got stationed at Fort Irwin. Mm. So he got stationed at NTC. Mm. Um, so, you know, for someone, I feel like, you know, if you did combat deployments and then you went to NTC, that would probably be pretty fun, you know, dressing up in black pajamas yeah. and running yeah. around the, the desert because it's beautiful out there. It is a yeah, beautiful it is. area. It's, nice it's not beautiful place. when you're training in it. No. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's like I, I recently just went on uh, a camping trip out there, out mm. that way. And it was amazing. But anyway, uh but it would seem like a cool thing to do, you know, when you get back after you know having such a high op tempo like they had over the past, you know, 15 years of deployments for GWAT. Sure. Um, it'd be a cool vacation. But for him, it was just, you know, well, that, that was my chance. You know, this is terrible. I'm not reenlisting. And, and that was it. So, hmm. but he was jealous because we would talk and stuff. And he'd be like, oh, like, because I found out he was infantry. And I was like, oh, that's cool, man. Like, where we at? Told me. And then he asked me and I told him and he was like, oh, and man, I wish I got to deploy and, and this and that, which, which I understand. Cause I had that feeling after Iraq, sure. yeah. you know, about the whole CIB thing. But at the same time, like you said, I think it's almost a little bit of that naivety where it's like, you know, careful what you wish for, mm-hmm. you know? And the thing is like, it's, so. it's almost cliche for the seasoned guys that actually have legit CIBs to be like, yeah, he's like, man, you don't, you know, it, it's a, it's just a word. It's yeah. like you don't really want it. Like you, know? no. <laughs> like you think you want it till you get it. Yeah. But, and then you go and you actually get into the shit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you know, there's some truth to that. I mean, there's some yeah. truth to wanting it and being proud of it. Like I'm proud yeah, of it. Absolutely. To be honest with you. But that's because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I earned it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm it, absolutely proud of mine too, even though. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> but I also like wouldn't wish yeah. it on. I understand like yeah. not wishing it on the next generation of guys too, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but, um, so you you went you were in two seven infantry this entire yep. time, but then you got word you were coming down to Bravo Company. So how did oh, that pan yeah. out for you? So yeah, so how that worked out was uh, I uh, got back from that deployment. Um, it's back for a while. I was in a, a team leader role uh, as a specialist, and uh, sent me to the promotion board. Uh, got my P status, my promotion promotable status, ugh, promotable status. And um, was out in the field. Uh, was actually the squad leader at the time because my squad leader was gone at some school or something. He he wasn't around. I forget what the the reason was. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had me as the squad leader on on table twelve gunnery for the infantry side, the dismount side. So we were entering clearing a trench while um, the Bradleys, you know, were shooting their targets, whatever. Uh, so we did that. You know, I, we went through our iteration and we did really well. You know, at, for especially for you know, having no NCOs in our platoon and three new privates, like we did very well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sergeant Major came up to me and and he was like, oh, you, know, you guys did awesome. You, you did better than, you know, all the other squads and this and that. And like, little did I know, 
he was kind of like he's buttering you up, a buttering bit. me up a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm just eating it up. I'm like, oh, like awesome, you know? Because at the time, I had had a, a few people overhead that were uh, not very. They didn't really deliver the praise or reward when people earned it. So it was kind of nice mm-hmm. to hear every once in a while. And uh, it was just funny because I didn't realize he was butting me up. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> shortly after that, uh, my platoon sergeant came over to me and he's like, hey, Evans, let me talk to you. And, and we had a very good relationship. Awesome platoon sergeant. Really good dude. Uh, this guy, Sergeant Anderson. And he was like, hey, Evans. He's like, I got good news and bad news. He's like, what do you want to hear first? And I'm like, well... I'm like, how about the bad news? You know, everybody wants to hear the bad news first. Get it out of the way. Uh, and he was like, bad news is, is you're leaving the field. I'm like, That's bad? Like, how's that bad? What's the good news? And he was like, good news is you're going to Afghanistan three weeks with the uh, 2nd Brigade. I was like, what? I'm like, <laughs> and I was kind of like almost shocked. I was like, like three weeks? Like, how are we just like finding out now? And are we going to get leave? Like, are we going to get a weekend mm. or so, like, like some of these dudes are married, you yeah. know, and, mm-hmm. and some of these dudes have kids like and like I like me at the time I was dating someone for years and I was like, oh, great. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, OK. And shortly after that, the sergeant major had come back and, you know, he was like, you know, Sergeant Anderson told you. And I was like, yes, yeah, Sergeant major. And he's like, don't worry. He's like, we're going to take care of you and make sure you keep your your team leader role. I was like, oh, cool. And I'm thinking because about a month before somebody had gotten frocked to E5. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe he's going to, you know, I had my P status. Uh, like I, we had talked about it earlier. My uh, my S shop had messed up my points. So I missed my window and had, a, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much missed my window so, opportunity. So you were E4 promotable at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I had to wait a very long time to get promoted because... Yeah. The S shop had messed my points up. Shocker. And then yeah. the points shot up to what was it? Well, I think it's like 795 or something. Yeah, it was it like exploded the max. All of a sudden. Yeah, it just because yeah. they filled all the E5 spots when it was like 300. You mm-hmm. know, so. Um, so anyway, so I'm thinking, oh, cool. You know, he's going to hook me up. He's going to promote me. So he calls me up in front of the formation and we're all standing there. And he's like, you know, he's like, you always see specialists. And then you see sergeants. And then as soon as he said that, I was like, he's going to make me a corporal, this asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's what he did. It just came down. And he's like, but you never see corporals. And I was like, oh, man. And I'm, but I'm staying mm. afraid to rest. You know, and I'm just like, but in my head, I'm like, shit. I'm like, man, because I my original team leader in the army was a corporal. And I saw the way mm-hmm. that they used him. Corporals get. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you're good enough for CQ and staff duty every week, but you're not good enough for like the cool responsibility. Because you're just a yeah, corporal, right? Yeah. You know, and then you also don't really get the respect because then, like, you know, you it, people look at you like, oh, you're just a, a fancy specialist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> yeah, so you're not it, Corporal Evans, you're still just Evans, right? Yeah, like I had a hard time going yeah. to the supply cage because I go to the supply cage and I ask the supply NCO for equipment, and he's like, you need to send a team leader over here, a sergeant. I'm like, well, I am a team leader, <laughs> just a corporal, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um. But yeah, so they, they do that. Uh, they they let us out of the field. They gave, they gave us like two days off before we came to you guys. Just oh, to kind wow. Of, that was really cool. Man. Yeah, at least they did that. Oh, you know? two days. <laughs> Could have been worse. Like, uh, so they gave us like two days and, and kind of let us reset from the field a little bit. And then they sent us over to 164. We ran the uh, the lanes with, uh, with you. You were there, Grace. And uh, a couple other people from the 
from our platoon were there. Some new privates that, that mm-hmm. were coming for this basic. This is while we were in NTC. Yeah, while you guys were. I think okay. you guys were just coming back. Hmm. You might okay. have just. You might have just came back. I think you came back a week into it. The lane that we were mm-hmm. doing. The lane was like a week and a half, I believe, if I remember correctly. Maybe two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so you guys came back, and and I remember showing up to the company and like to be honest yeah i was kind of nervous because you know here we are here's our squad our squad leader who's supposed to come with us on the deployment you know is is has some family stuff or something and he couldn't show up uh he couldn't deploy with us on time he was going to deploy later if at all because he was having a kid or or, i forget what the reason was um so it was just us and we were kind of nervous because you know it's here i am a corporal and i'm the highest ranking person in the squad and like, mm-hmm. what, what power do I have to, to look out for my dude's best interest? Like what power do I really have to like try and tell anyone what's going to happen with my guys, you know? So I was kind of worried about it. And yeah. you're also showing up to a unit where no one knows you. And, you know, you think like, no one's going to watch out for us. No one's going to watch our back. You know, they're, they're worried about their own friends, which I understand because, you know, I, I've been in that situation on the opposite end too, mm-hmm. but, uh, Thankfully, it all ended up <laughs> working out, and we got uh, Sergeant Morgan as our squad leader. They gave Good us a pull. new squad leader because ours wasn't coming immediately. Yeah. We, and, man, we we could not have been luckier. He is, like, yeah. one of the greatest leaders I ever had in the Army. He was a super smart dude, but he took, like, no shit. No matter what rank you were, he didn't care. He would let you know what was up. Uh, Very experienced guy. He had a lot of, oh. a lot of experience in his belt. Tons of deployments, tons of schools, yeah. tons of great, you know, training opportunities. And and he taught he taught me more, I think, in in three, four months than I learned almost the entire time I was in the army. He he taught me so much. Mm. Um great guy. Saw him a few months ago. I had a few beers with him. Nice. Slept nice. on my couch. <laughs> uh, but Yeah, I always wished uh, he was over in first platoon. We could have used him. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Well, I mean, he he was in first. He was, yeah. For like, yeah, a I guess week. that's true. He was, he was, he was yeah. like your guy's black sheep too, because he got yeah. he got moved over to us. So we were like the black sheep, uh, black sheep squad, which black is squad. a good segue because if our our listeners have been very observant, they'll notice there's a portion of these stories that have a very different makeup of people, mm-hmm. and that's because over the course of the deployment, we started pulling people from the district center to fill roles on our squads as they opened up mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons. You were not with us at Spurwingar no. for the first two, three months of the deployment. No. Uh, what were you doing? What so, were you doing? So once they, you know, they got our squad together, deployed everybody. Um, we came to Spurwingar originally. So we were with you guys for the first, you know, I think it was like a week, week or, or so, two. Yeah, I remember that. And then, you know, word came down like, um, oh, we're going to end up sending a squad to the district center. And like, we kind of knew. We're like, well, they don't really hold any loyalty towards us. You know, we're, we're the new guys. You know, we're not... Mm-hmm. We're probably going to go like we're going to the district center. And mm-hmm. then they told us what the mission was. I was also kind of bummed because it's kind of the same thing I did the first deployment. It was a lot of PSD, you know, personal security detachment for some kind of reconstructive team for the country, you know, and I wanted more of a kinetic deployment and I was kind of looking, I wanted to get more of the infantry experience and, and I was kind of worried I was going to lose, lose that opportunity. Uh, so they, they ended up picking us to go to the district center and we get over there and you know we go to the main building and we're talking to them and we notice like there's not a lot of sleeping quarters here 
We were like, how are we going to fit a squad in here? And they're like, oh, let me let me show you guys are staying. And they brought us over to the Afghan police compound. Oh, and no. there was a door. Remember the door in the corner of mm-hmm. the district center? And then you open the door and you go in. And there's like that little compound back there. And they had like three trailers back there. And they just kind of load us up in the trailers. Um, but it was pretty funny because we had the little door. And inside it was like a, a medieval, uh, what do they call that thing? Like the wood you put down and you slide in the door. And yeah. like, yeah. kick the door in. <laughs> like they had the battery gram hit the door. Uh, <laughs> so we um, had latch thing yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. super ghetto and then we had sandbags like stacked up all over the door and, yeah um but yeah it ended up ended up being a pretty interesting experience so i got there and we ripped in with the unit we did a few missions and one of the guys if you notice when you first walk in on the on the right of the door was an eight like a, a aid equipment like medical equipment uh cash right and what that was was uh there was an aid station back there for the afghan police so one of the first things they asked us when we got there, like, so who's your guy's medic? And we're like, well, we don't, we don't have a medic. Um, the PSD team has a medic, but back here we don't have one. And he was like, oh, so they didn't tell you guys. And we're like, no. And he was like, well, you're going to be running the aid station for the Afghan police. And that was kind of a shocker because I was like, oh, that, that seems like a lot. But, you know, I, I used to work as an EMT and I worked 911 for a few years and figured, oh, you know, I, I think I could I could do a little bit, but I, I kind of need some help. But I'm not really getting much help. Uh, and I ran the while we were at the district center, I ran the Afghan police aid station for about three months. So in between doing missions, you know, going out on on patrols with the not patrols, but I would say more like meetings mm. with the SFAT team, the security forces assistance team at the district center. Um. I'd go out on missions with them, but the way it would work was either I had to stay back or the medic had to stay back. The 18 Delta. No, no, no. So this is a regular army okay, medic guy. Okay. Super cool dude. This guy, Sergeant Nanetti. Uh super dialed medic, super funny, awesome dude. He's like barbecue and stuff for us okay. all the time. Real good, real cool guy. Um had a lot of experience under his belt. He was an E6 okay. medic, so very, yeah. which is hard to get to. Yeah, it's you know, unusual. If, by the end, they're usually yeah. stuck in a hospital. Yeah, yeah. If like if you're not dialed, it's hard to get to E6 yeah. medic. Like super good dude. Uh, then we also had the 18 Delta next door, and that's you know not to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. a key component of when we talk, we talk about the district center a lot. Um, mm-hmm. They that is where the special forces team was. Yeah, that's where their co- their compound was. Yeah. It was just kind of off to the side it was of the like district center, twenty feet away from us. Yeah, they just had so, their own spot. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. they just had their own spot. So a lot of times you'll hear us talk about ODA and district center interchangeably. That's just because that particular special forces team that is where that their yeah. compound was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned eighteen Delta. Uh, eighteen Delta is a special forces medic. Yeah, and it's a medic that's trained to like the level like a physician's assistant. Like they yeah. they spend like two years and they do rotations through like New York City Hospital. hospitals yeah. and like yeah. like they're extremely mm-hmm. extremely competent medics. Very like, ten very times much more competent so. than any oh. other you know armed forces medic except maybe you know like tier one units. Yeah, or something like, like that leaps and bounds. Um, leaps and bounds. So to have him as an asset nearby was you know basically the same as like having like a doctor next door mm-hmm. was, yeah absolutely and it, it was a nice asset to have too because he was literally only like a phone call away yeah yeah you know so uh there were a few times you know we run the aid station and like i said so i was saying um either me or sergeant and had to stay back right because we always had to have someone somewhat trained 
to respond. Yeah. So Nanetti had gone over a lot of things with me. You know, I had like the basic CLS knowledge, but he got a little more in depth with it. You know, I had the basic trauma care knowledge from, from doing EMS for, for two and a half years in Jersey. Um, but you know, he taught me how, you know, to innovate people. He taught me, you know, how to use some of the drugs and stuff like that. So some of the pain medications, uh, Show me it's just good ways to start, you know, treat gunshot wounds and and sucking chest wounds, darting people, you know, doing the needle chest decompressions and stuff. Uh, So, and I did that quite a bit, which is way out of my scope of practice legally (laughs) in the United States, but Afghanistan doesn't matter. Yeah. All that matters is somebody showed you how to do it so you can now do it. You are blessed by the U.S. Army. the, The thing about that position and being in that position is like you weren't seeing combat really. But you were no, but I was at seeing the, the end of combat. Yeah, I was know? seeing the result of combat. So yeah, a whole lot more than we were. Like we, like uh, we, you know, if we fuck somebody up. We never saw them. They yeah. were hundred meters away. You know, yeah. but if we fuck somebody up and they were still breathing or maybe not breathing, they would throw them in a wheelbarrow, put them in the back of one of those little tricycle mm-hmm. motor motorcycle things, and drive them to the district center. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's and how you it get worked. A, you know, it's a lot of carnage. And it's crazy because it's not like you know, in the civilian side where you know, I, I hear the tones drop, and it's like you know. 25158, please respond to, you know, 123 Main Street for stabbing. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like, you hear a car pull up, then you hear a bunch of Afghan police going ape shit, like yelling <laughs> and screaming, and you just mm-hmm. crack the door, and then you see it, and you'll see them bringing the people in. Uh, so. And it was like a combination of civilians, Afghan military, Afghan police, Taliban. Taliban, yeah. You know. Yeah, I treated like a, a very wide range of people, mostly Afghan police. Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, you know they had so many of them there. They would get shot at or or take casualties, and I'd go out there and treat them. Uh, we had one day we had a. I was back there by myself. It was just me. the The medic had gone out on a mission uh, with a bunch of the other dudes. I think I had like one or two dudes from our team were in the the living area. And I hear a truck pull up and just yelling and screaming. And I, so I knew like something was happening. So I, you know, I op- went out there, opened the door and uh, see this pickup truck. And in the back of the pickup truck, there's a, there's two Afghans. And one of them is like his, he's split wide yeah. open, you know, guns hanging out everywhere. And the other guy is double amp, you know, right below his, his hips, like mm. very high up, you know, his, genitals were were pretty mangled and yeah. he had a lot of a lot of damage to his pelvis so i just looked at that like them and i was just like like shit i can't there's no way i can do this by myself that's yeah. it's too yeah. much so i had a call over to the 18 delta to come over and and he he came over to help me so he, he took the guy with the with the guts hanging out i took the guy at the double amp and i was so it's pretty bad you know he's ruptured up into his pelvis uh so is yeah pee and poo is coming out and blood while i'm trying to stop it bleeding so i'm actually i'm like gagging while i'm treating this guy yeah you know dry heaving <laughs> and <laughs> uh, the 18 delta though is laughing at me because he's like <laughs> you know because he's seen it all you know and he's yeah. seeing me have this like physical reaction like uh, you know while i'm doing it and he's just so just so everyone's clear, too, these are Taliban guys that we're laughing about. Yeah, this, yeah. Isn't, this isn't Afghan civilians or, or police. These are straight Taliban dudes. They were planning an IED and they stepped on their own IED. Oh, I hate yeah. when that happens. Yeah, just oh, dang. Shit, you know, yeah. so that, 
we're not talking poorly <laughs> about our about our Afghan counterparts or anyone yeah. here. Um, but it was a lot of that, you know, and and so and we also got you know Afghan civilians too. Unfortunately, like we had kids yeah. that we treated, you know, kids that stepped on IEDs and. And that's how you how you became a TV star. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, my fifteen seconds Your of fame. Fifteen seconds of fame on me National and, Geographic. Me and Sean McCaffrey. Oh, I missed <laughs> yeah. this story. Yeah, so uh, they did that TV show Inside, Inside Combat, Combat Rescue. Rescue. Yeah, with about the mm-hmm. PJs. And if you watch that show, you see a lot of people from One Six Four. You see Holt. You see a bunch of dudes from Kenjakak, mm-hmm. uh, and then a few dudes from Panjaway too. And um, mm. Those are the guys. It wasn't that particular aircraft, or it might have been that particular aircraft. They just it was didn't like film two, it. but uh, it was the same unit that picked Clark up. Yeah, it was the yeah. same unit that picked Clark up. Um, mm. So yeah, we were a, a kid. Kid, they brought a kid in, and he had stepped on, um, an you know pressure plate ID that got planned out in in his family's like farm, you know. Mm-hmm. So like terrible, you know, poor kid, man. You know, he's like probably you know, like eleven. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like the United States where, you know, you get an amputee, you know, they, you could somewhat live somewhat of a normal life. You know, you have your problems, you know, like, yeah. we know with a lot of our guys, amputees, they still have surgeries and, yeah. and everything. But like, you know, you're here, but, you know, a kid in Afghanistan, it's like, what kind of, what quality of healthcare or care you're going to get after, you know? Right. And, and what kind of a, life are you going to have when you're a dirt was, farmer in, in Panjaway? Yeah. Know? Especially yeah. in Panjaway. I mean, yeah. So, you can't yeah. roll a wheelchair. I'm pretty sure the houses there aren't ADA accessible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so uh, but yeah, we uh, that was a kind of a common sight was seeing like kids walking around with missing legs or yeah, and with a know, missing leg or an arm or something like that. Like on like some kids. homemade wooden crutch. Yeah, you know, yeah like just hobbling this, around. Yeah, that was that was a shame, normal dude. thing to see. It's sad, man. Sad, yeah. sad for that. Feel bad for those kids. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, so we uh, helicopter landed. From Inside Combat Rescue, it's I think it's like episode six. It's like fog of war. It's yeah. dramatic and whatnot. I think that's why they called it that because it was a kid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, you know, you can see them coming in, landing, and you know, they they film the district center coming in, you see it, and they land, and you see me and McCaffrey and two of the guys in the district are carrying this kid up. And then you see Sergeant Nanetti, the medic, too, giving his hand off, you know, yeah. telling him what's up to the medic. And then you see us again for like two seconds, and then you see my my pirate flag tattoo, my nice. identifying feature. I'm in second t-shirt. You weren't wearing your top. No, no. Did you get in trouble yeah. for that? No, no. <laughs> Not even three years later, there wasn't a sergeant well, major. It's like, no. hey, 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 hey. Yeah, identify that soldier. Yeah, AR six seventy dash one violation. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, Make no, but shit. I mean, my boss was a colonel too, and yeah. like he was—I mean, he's—they were—they were cool. They—they kind of left us, let us do our thing. They—they they knew that we—we we were not part of them. We were just there to provide kind of like a service. Sure. So mm-hmm. like the extent of our relationship with them is them coming down and be like, "Hey, to Sergeant Morgan, hey, we're going to do this mission. We need you guys to to plan our route and and plan security for us." Cool. Yeah. And that was it. That was kind of our relationship with them. But they, we we were all good. We were cool. I still talk to some of them today. So those mm-hmm. those advisors that you were escorting on those missions were they infantrymen or were they? No, they were. Some of them were cap scouts, and a lot of them were from the reserves. Okay, that got yeah activated. So like the Maybe. colonel was from the reserves. There was a master sergeant from the reserves from New Jersey, actually, kind of near where, where I grew up at. 
So they kind of, um, they kind of modeled it after what eventually would become like the SFAB, the Security Force Advising. Brigade. Yeah, that was like kind of one of the precursors yeah. to to that. And I think when they started doing that, they wanted to make it a more full time professional force because it was so so needed in yeah. every mm-hmm. district of every yeah, area. Doing it all in. over. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, so while you were at the district center. What what were you hearing about Spurwin Garlic? I know because I'm sure you guys were. Oh yeah, you know, so we we were hearing a lot, and um, you know, hearing what was going on, and like we didn't really know anyone, you know, because like we we didn't know you guys at right. the time, yeah. but we could see Sergeant Morgan getting like really upset because you know this guy was getting hurt, that guy was getting hurt, you know, this person was having problems, and he was really upset that he wasn't there, hmm. you know, and we were too to a point, you know, but we but you know he had you know a lot of fierce loyalty to the the company, not the company itself, but the guys in the, the company, guys, yeah. you know, yeah. And um, so you would see him. And I remember um, when one of the guys stepped on IED, he was, man, he was devastated, dude, devastated. Mm. And, and I think that was what spurred him to really start pushing to go back. And uh, he did. And he was there for, he was there with us for about two and a half months. And then he got pulled back to uh, Sporogar. And I told him before he left, I was like, hey, you know, if they need a team leader, let me know. Like, I'll, I'll be that guy. You know, I'll be if they need someone like I'll go. And I know like Pfeiffer wants to go. I know Morales wants to go for right. a fact. I know McCaffrey wants to go for a fact. So like and if I go like I'm going to try and take these guys with me, you know. So um, about two weeks goes by and I get the phone call up at the office pretty much in the district center. Like, hey, yeah. you're coming over, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And I was like, cool. I was like, you know, thanks, Sergeant Martin. I appreciate it. And he's like, ah, he's like careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, careful what you wish for. And like, this, yeah. man, those those words always stuck with me when he said that to me. And yeah. man, he was he was right. He was right. Yeah. <laughs> he was right. You know, because here I am all, all, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed, amped up, finally get to do real infantry deployment, not like playing a cop or a bodyguard. Yeah, you know, I get mm-hmm. to do something, and little did I know <laughs> the reality of of the situation over there. And it was, you know, uh, so yeah, I ended up going over there. You guys came to pick me up. I think Clark was in the trek that picked me up. I, I know yeah. I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember picking you guys up because we put you guys in the Max Pro, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah, we yeah. loaded up all our stuff in the back of the Max Pro, yep. and and off the we guard we went. You and McCaffrey and mm-hmm. Pfeiffer and Pfeiffer. And that was it. Morales came later. I okay. think Morales came like three weeks later. And then McCaffrey yeah, and Morales went later. third. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and McCaffrey and Morales came third first. platoon. And then Pfeiffer and I were first platoon. Yep. Cool. Mm-hmm. And now it wasn't. Because at that point in the deployment, like we were, we were, hit me up, we were losing guys to yeah. varying I think, reasons. You know, mental attrition, but, uh, wounds, yeah. you know, physical attrition. I mean, it was just a combination of a lot of things. So, mm. like our platoon was starting to get some serious holes in yeah. it that needed patching. So, the timing of you guys getting there was really mm. necessary for well, that's us. What, that's what we had, we had done. We, we replaced a few guys that were just, they just were like, they're done. They yeah. need a break, you yeah. know, and, and understandably so. It was tough deployment. You know, well, it was, it was lucky for us to have devices like a squad at the district center yeah. and you know the mayor's cell mm-hmm. to you know rotate some people that weren't quite mm-hmm. um doing okay yeah and it was you know a way they could still do their part and you know and and do better absolutely yeah um 
You know, in the district center, especially because it kind of gets you off Sperling Guard. It, it got you yeah, into a yeah. different situation where mm-hmm. you're doing a much lower risk mission. Yeah. And, and you're not having to deal with, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of the guys that were on Marisol, you know, had probably dealt with some of the guilt of watching guys go on and off the cop mm-hmm. on missions. And they, they're, they just, they couldn't, couldn't yeah. do it. It's hard. Yeah. It's, it's um, hard situation for them to be in. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, now, when you showed up, and I want to say it was what, June? Yeah, it was June. Um, it's like the end, end of June, end of June. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, this was a portion of the, the point where we kind of had this weird lull. Yeah. Um, cause they'd have been ramping up for weeks where mm. it, it was, was, um, Luxmore. It was the engineers. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. had the big clearing mission. We had all this stuff happen. Mm-hmm. And at that time we were like, oh my God, if this keeps happening, if this doesn't slow down, like we're going to all die. Yeah. yeah. Um, unfortunately it did, it kind of slowed down, not, mm-hmm dramatically yeah but at least it wasn't like we weren't losing like we didn't have like kia every week for yeah three weeks which is what was happening for yeah. a brief period of time mm-hmm. um and so it finally slowed down and you guys showed up um right around when ramadan started yeah and i don't know what you had Great heard timing. about ramadan but we'd heard conflicting things <laughs> yeah <laughs> on one hand i'd heard they fight real hard during ramadan mm-hmm. it's crazy we're gonna get messed up and then i also heard at the same time from different people Nah, Ramadan's chill because they don't fight during Ramadan. It's like truce period. Everyone kind of chills and hangs out. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens. We don't even go out because we're not allowed to. Well, all of that was false. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it was. It was all a lie. It was not better. It was not worse. It was different because mm-hmm. of the restrictions we had with our partnered forces. Yeah, um, and I also think it made maybe the Taliban a little angrier because I mean, who who doesn't get hangry? <laughs> Right, you know, and you can't eat all day, and <laughs> yeah, and you know, you're I mean, pretty really, much yeah, there was skin and bones there was in the first place, lull yeah. where you guys came down, but then it picked right back up and it didn't yeah. let off. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Ramadan didn't mean shit. It seems like at the beginning of Ramadan, we were kind of like pushing our limits to see what we could get away with, yeah, mm-hmm. um, in terms of like getting the locals to go on patrol with us. Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of, you know, I mean, I'm talking on my ass here, but it sounds like we kind of like resorted ourselves, like, we could just get like two or three of them to go, we'd be fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I we'd remember. like we'd like trick two or three of them to go out. It was harder to get the A and A to go out during A&A. that time, but we could always, you know, I don't know, maybe we just had like pockets of hash that we were throwing at the ALP <laughs> or something to get them to <laughs> to go on a mission with us. But they they would go, and we would just be like, all right, well, here we go, let's go. Mm-hmm. We'll be back before yeah, ten. We could, yeah, we would get that window. Yeah, that, that was when we would go to the LP checkpoint and be like, give us a couple of dudes, and the commander would be like, send out the cha boys, they'll go with yeah. you. Yeah, you know, so you get the, the like fourteen year old kid with an AK, I like think the ship bag. Yeah, or the yeah. ship bags. Like, we'll send them out. Yeah, or the like, ship like, bags. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which led us into some bad positions, bad spots. Yeah, that did a few times. Yeah, because I mean, Hulk, I mean, you Hulk got there a few days before you did, but that the Afghans we had with us on that mission, which we talked about in Kohler's episode. I mean, they were, they were, they were worthless. They didn't, mm. you know, I mean, I, I appreciate his effort to try to talk them up and make them think they were, they were the lions of Kandahar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they were teenage kids. They mm-hmm. didn't want to be there. They didn't really contribute anything one way or the other. No, most fight. of them weren't from there. No. Like, no. Yeah. I don't think any of them were really from the area. Well, the ALP no. were. The ALP. Yeah, ALP were. But, but the, the, the army guys. No, they were from yeah. a different yeah. province altogether. So they had no loyalty to fixing that province because I mean it's a it's a tribal country. They have no national yeah, identity. Yeah. yeah, it's all about what province, what tribe you're from, what right. area you're from, what what elder do you fall under? Which I thought was a mistake you know? to, to do that way. I don't know why they did it. They didn't want like as much corruption. Yeah, exactly. Or like, hey, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna cover for my my buddy Habib. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, think, but I like, saw in other parts of the country where like localized like 
in Coast. The Coast <laughs> yeah. uh, Provincial Force, which yeah. is the ANA and Coast, they're all from Coast, and they're mm. like, yeah, because they care. They care. That's where they're from. Yeah, you know, it's their, it's their yeah. Well, I think to town. to paint a picture for like uh, people who aren't as familiar with how Afghanistan travel politics work, it's not like somebody from mm. California going to New York and fighting no. for fellow New Yorkers or whatever. Like they would do that. Mm. It would be like somebody from Nebraska going to Latvia and fighting yeah. off the Russians. Yeah, you know, and like mm-hmm. you're not going to give a shit what happens in Latvia if you're no. from you know the you know the middle of America. So then or the cultural his, differences yeah. were that drastic and that's yeah. that dramatic between the guys from north northeastern and north central Afghanistan and the area we were in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even if you go back as recently as like Native American culture. Yeah. You know, you yeah. wouldn't find participants of one tribe going to hey, going to walk, walk around Sioux territory and you know mm-hmm. and help the Sioux with their fun. No, I mean yeah. it wasn't Mm-mm. you know, you did your thing here and they did yeah. their thing there and Especially, you know, when you talk like Pashto and how how familial those lines are. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that'll be a topic for another episode for sure. Yeah, Chris Persons will have some sincerity given to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Chris Persons will have some really good insight for that. And I'm yeah. excited to have him on here soon. For sure. Um, but you got the opportunity to really earn really? your CIB. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Once you <laughs> got to us. <laughs> Or, or at least, or at least have the experience to justify wearing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I never wore it before. I never wore it. The only time I wore it was when I went to one six four for the first time. I put it on for clout for a little bit because I was new and I didn't <laughs> want to. I, you know what I mean? I wanted a little bit of yeah. of leeway with what sure you yeah. know what I wanted for probably my good, dudes. Probably a good idea. Yeah, it was, just, yeah. It was like kind of a, a, a cover your ass thing. You know, right. I was like, oh, this might help mm-hmm. a little bit. Which I'm sure it did. I'm sure it yeah. did. Little did they know it's bullshit. <laughs> but all they, they saw <laughs> well, most it there, of the ones so. in 164 were bullshit too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Except I wasn't pretty like said, E6 and above. I probably wasn't the only one. No. No, no. and that's the thing. Like you look around a crowd, especially in, you know, as the army got towards the end of its, mm-hmm. its thing, like you look around and you're like, okay. Yeah. You know. They almost should have like broken the war on terror up into pieces and start giving like second stars for CIVs. Then yeah. you'd, you'd really know if people had earned them if they'd earned like two or three. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? Which I always thought was weird that he didn't do that between Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's GWAT. But also at the same time, they don't give you a CIB if you go to Syria or if you go to, to where is it, Niger. Yeah. If you have one mm-hmm. from Afghanistan. That's just really yeah, it's strange. Yeah, it's all considered part of the war. Yeah, on it's just weird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just I disagree with that. I think that that would be a good way to like visually recognize like okay, like yeah. you know, you only got that one. You mm-hmm. know, that's a that's a late 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 end CIB or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. But I guess it mm-hmm. kind of runs counter to the topic of they all don't matter anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> Uh, it's all the same shit. But so, what do you remember of, about the yeah. mission that you got your real CIB? Okay, so it was, I think it was my second mission with you guys. Um, we were doing a tree clearing operation. Love so, those. great, cool, random. Great idea. Yeah. <laughs> awesome idea. So, the idea, from what I understand, between the, the, clear, the tree clearing mission was to clear out areas where they may be setting up ambushes or hiding caches or they wanted to pretty much eliminate any kind of overhead cover. Yeah. So the birds could see them, what they were doing or the peaches could see what they were doing. Yeah. So yeah. I think they were picking areas where the peaches would look from Massimgar and be like, Oh, look at that area. That looks kind of shady. Like a lot of trees <laughs> over there. Let's, let's blow them up and, and open it up and make a giant field. Right. Um, so yeah, we had the engineers out there, EOD guys, and they were trying 
real hard, but just in vain to get these trees to come down with explosives. So yeah. they, they had us out on a blocking position to the east. Yes. And we walked in probably, uh, I'd say like like half a click yeah, off the road. That. Yeah, it was real short movement you know, for was, us. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, for once, right? Yeah, for once. <laughs> uh, uh, I think we were... Well, what town were we near? Was that Sketcha? Sketcha. Yeah. We on the very north. The edge of so it. like there's like yeah. north and south Sketcha. We were on the very north edge of mm. North Sketcha. Yeah. Northwest edge of Sketcha. It was right, right across yeah. from uh, Opie Mosque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were right. maybe like three, four hundred yards south of Opie Mosque. Yeah. Yeah. And uh so <laughs> we uh we moved the squad through uh we came up to like kind of a weird like intersection, but it was surrounded by walls and we couldn't like see anything and, and we were our mission was to watch to the south and to the east to make sure no right. one rolled up on them while they were doing uh, the tree clearing. So me and my my bright idea was, hey, like, there's a roof up there. Like, hey, uh, Sergeant Bally, you think it'd be a good idea if I took my, my squad up there up to the roof? He's like, yeah, sure. You know. So up we go. I go up to the roof of this gray putt, and I'm thinking like there's going to be like what is it on the parapet like walls? A parapet up there, yeah, yeah, you know, just some kind of yeah. some kind of barrier because it looked like there was. And as soon as we got up there, it was nothing. It was flat. Yeah, and, <laughs> and not only was it flat, but it sloped down towards. Yeah, it sloped down like <laughs> towards the the, <laughs> the wilderness out there and the the grape rows and everything. It's and, like if you were standing on the ground, mm-hmm. you could look up and you could see us even if we're laying down. Yeah. You could see us yeah. entirely. Yeah, I remember looking up and seeing like the upper half of Curtis's body. Hmm. And yeah, just totally, I mean, I, I'll i take blame for that one 100%. Super bad idea. Definitely a learning experience. Well, it was a good idea. It was an idea we used a lot later. It's a good idea on paper. <laughs> but when I got up there, I should have been like, no, nah, let's get out of here. But I figured, oh, because I didn't really know how it was. I heard stories and, and you, you hear th- how things are, but you don't really know until you're there. Yeah. You know, sure. and, and so you get the first experience. So the bullets start flying past you know, more regularly. And then you kind of get a feel for what's a good idea and what's not a good idea. I was brand mm. new, you know, yeah. I, I had deployment, but nothing like that happened ever. Right. You know, I used to stand on roofs in, in Baghdad and woo, just take pictures. Cool. <laughs> you know, the city in the background. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're up on the roof and uh, I was kind of back behind you guys a little bit. Curtis was there. Yeah. Uh, it was Curtis was my saw gunner. Uh, we had Perez was a rifleman. He was carrying AT4 and Pfeiffer. Mm. So and Pfeiffer's up there. Pfeiffer on the uh, on the lower part were me and Holt. And this yeah. was my one and only fabled combat dump. Yes, yeah, I've heard the story. <laughs> I heard you were you were letting it rip. I was uh, I was pitching the loaf down there in the great yeah. rows, and I said I like it was it was one of those things that was unique to our deployment. I wonder. It's because if a guy took a piss or was taking a shit, it was almost guaranteed that mm-hmm. within minutes or seconds you would take contact. Mine was lighting a cigarette. That yeah, was what happened yeah, every yeah. time for me. Every time we'd get done, it was always after a firefight. I would, I would, you know, we get done getting shot at, and everyone's like amped up. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. reach in, you pull out that butt, and you light it. And every time, as soon as I would do it. I would take one drag and just, God, shit. <laughs> like, you know how hard it is to get these things? These aren't pines or yeah. or whatever they were. These are American. <laughs> you, know? so you get all mad. You're like, shit. So while, um, I, was, uh, while I was pitching a loaf down there, yeah. you guys were, what this, happened up top on the roof? So we were, uh, they were all on the prone. I was kind of, I was sitting on the top stair going yeah. up 
behind them because there wasn't any room for me to get down there with you guys. You guys were pretty like your feet were touching. Yeah, pretty yeah it, was, much. it was real tight. And uh, I was kind of just watching what was going on and I was keeping contact with you guys while also like kind of visual contact with down below us. Yeah. You know, um, you know, just kind of seeing what everybody else was doing. And yeah, somebody God, he had, he was close. He was yeah. Probably, probably like, like 20, 30 meters. If that, I would say, yeah. you know, he was in a, was that the corner of a gray putt? Yeah. It was just, just across and and... the road, mm-hmm. you know, like, point blank green yeah it was close and yeah. you could see the muzzle flashes and yeah. everything mm-hmm. just yep. you know the the typical ak sound sure mm-hmm. the cracks and the whizzes and and it it was pretty wild too because you know we had no no cover up there Nothing. so the, these rounds were were i don't think he had the best shot on us which was probably really good i don't yeah i don't think he i had think he a... was shooting right over you yeah. guys and then he was hitting the wall like right in front of you guys but it was like he was hitting the corner of the wall so it was spraying dirt up, like up over the gray putt the rounds were coming over you we all started shooting uh me being a dum-dum i'm just shooting my m4 and sergeant ott's like shoot your 203 so i start you know loading those in there and shooting those <laughs> because you know it's your first firefight you know mm-hmm. private or sergeant you know that's it's a shocking feeling yeah to be shot at in anger yeah, and then return yeah. fire. You know, it's like it's like what can I do? What am I yeah, allowed to do? Exactly, here? Yeah. and and I felt like I had that because my first deployment. I don't know how how your act deployment no, was. There was a lot of rules. It was very like strict. You're not allowed to do this. You can't yeah. do this. You can't do that. You can't look at a cow's ass on Thursday. You know, like it was yeah. like super specific, like what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. And you go to Afghanistan. It's just like yeah, Wild West. You know, you yeah. get shot at, you shoot back. <laughs> You yeah. know, like that's it. And like, it, it was almost like, you know, it, you get used to it quick, but at first it was like, Oh, am I going to get trouble? Like, am I allowed to shoot 40 Mike, Mike? Right. You know, am mm-hmm. I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to do that? But in the course of that firefight, you know, we were firing, firing, uh, Perez is laying up there and I yelled at Perez. I'm like, Hey, I'm like, shoot the AT4, shoot the AT4. And he pulled it out. And I don't know if he didn't hear me or, or what, but he just passed it to me. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, whoa, I'm like, well, I'm not passing up that opportunity. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, thank you. I'm like, you sure? All right, cool. So I took it, got to shoot the AT. So it's cool, cool first firefight story, you know. I got the, yeah. no one That's got hurt. One. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got to shoot AT4, shoot, shot it a bunch of 203s. Nothing to the great part. Oh, nothing. Yeah. I, nothing. It was all. just fun. You know, it was, it was a cool. direct hit, yeah. too. Bucket so list. to our, to you know, our sure. I mean, friends you, in the you comments. gave that dude a good concussion. He's probably got some good TBI. I'm not sure. sure yeah. I puckered his butthole a little bit. But yeah, to our friends know? in the comments who have been telling us that the AT4 is as good as the goose. It's not. You're wrong. Just yeah. not. You're, you're just you're just you're just wrong. Mm-hmm. And that 240 <laughs> is not as good as the goose in a firefight. You're just wrong. A 240 just on that rooftop would have done nothing. You're just jealous yeah. you never got the goose off. I said it. So you guys, you you sir are a very a huge fan of the goose off. I like the goose off, but yeah. forever my favorite weapon ever from that deployment is 203. Yes, oh, hands down. I'll, I'll give you that. Hands down. It was. A, it was. I think we used that yeah. more than anything. I think I fired more two, two like forty millimeter rounds. I did five, five, six. I know for a fact that's not true for me. No, <laughs> man. I but, shot. I mean, thousands of rounds. Yeah. We, we used it a lot, and it was good, man. Mm-hmm. We did some good because we could. You could. You could get in above them, which was a hard yeah. thing for yeah. us. To it was do the death blossom. Yeah. You know, you take contact from a certain direction, you dump like 30, 40 mic mic on it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yep. And that usually did the work at least temporarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember we were going through 40 millimeters so fast. Oh, was, we ran that out. 
our our parent oh, battalion. Real quick, sorry, real quick. For people who aren't military, they're listening. A forty millimeters and a two hundred three is a grenade launcher that mm-hmm. is attached to the bottom of the barrel of your rifle, and mm-hmm. it shoots a forty millimeter grenade, like literally lobs it and and mm-hmm. uh, explodes. So yeah, sorry. Continue. Mil- had, military had, history with Luke. We had M three twenties too, but I, I oh, opted yeah, for the NOM style. Yeah, I opted for the two hundred three. Yeah, I, yeah. I like yeah the new the three twenties were clunky and awkward. On they're terrible. Yeah. I don't know why people love them so much. They were awkward. I think people yeah. like them because the, in their new. mind, they're like, I can take this off my gun and shoot yeah. it as if they were ever going to be allowed to do that. Yeah. And I know some yeah. people did, but like, look, we had one dude that did it and he split his face open. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was doing this and he shot it and it whack. Yeah. <laughs> split his lip so open. So it's designed you know? to be, it, that, that's a launcher. It's actually designed to be not fired on the weapon, but it can yeah. be put to a weapon. I don't know. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't perfect. Anyway. If my memory serves me correctly. We were forced to put the three twenties on the guns because yes. yeah. Kitching was worried that we'd be lazy fucks and not bring him with us for some yeah. reason. <laughs> he probably we onto something there. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he probably wasn't very wrong because yeah. someone would have <laughs> forgot it. You know, <gasps> where's your two hundred three? <gasps> Somebody in room would have been like, I didn't want to pack it with me. It's on my. It's too on my heavy. Head. Yeah, <laughs> I can I can think of several people in first that would have forgotten it too. Where did it go? <laughs> no. Oh God! Yeah, that's that's probably, honestly that <laughs> you know? that's probably the yeah. real risk. Yeah, because you imagine yeah. like not oh forgetting God. to bring it, but forgetting to bring it back. I would hate to be just, on the other end of that. Just set it on a, <laughs> just set it on the ledge on top of a freaking compound. And, yeah, you know, yeah. sketch it and yeah. get halfway back you to spare one guard and be like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good point. Um, we were blasting through forty millimeter grenades for yeah. two or three launcher so fast, or three twenty launcher. So fast that our parent battalion, who was supposed to be taking care of us, giving us our ammunition, giving us food, giving us support, said, we don't believe you. We're not going to send you anymore because yeah. there's no way that you're shooting and that much 40 millimeters. Remember what we ended up doing? We, we told General Abrams about that. Oh, this is before And that. then he stole, he got us yeah. a whole bunch. He flew a Blackhawk to us the next day. So we actually had that problem. I don't know if you remember. We had that problem earlier in deployment. Did we? And they did said the same thing. They wouldn't give us more. And we were walking around, and I remember I brought up we were doing something. I think we were going to CAF or uh-huh. or something one day, and I asked Sergeant Ott. I was like, "Hey, like, well, let's stop by the district center because you know I know everybody there, yeah, and they have a bunch and they never use it." So I remember we mm-hmm. went there and we grabbed like like a couple cases, yeah, a couple couple cans of it. So that was I know that was one way we got it there. Um, and then I think we got some more from the SF compound too. I yeah, think they gave us mm-hmm. some because we went to go get more Gustav rounds too. Yeah, and they the were ODA like, was, "Oh, I need that." And, ODA was really oh, good about taking care of. They us. were yeah, awesome. Man, they were, yeah. And every time you'd go, you'd go over there and, and to pick up more ammo or whatever, they would like chat you up and and how's it going, man? Like, you know, how's this? How's that? You know, what's going on over there? What can and, we do? Yeah, to help? What, like, do you guys yeah. need anything? Yeah. Like, we got ammo and stuff. We got this. We got that. Like, you know, some sodas. Yeah, anything. You know, you know? Yeah. And they were they were more than willing to help because like one of the the weapons sergeant there i I talked to him pretty frequently like at the district center after the district center and he he was very like sympathetic to what we were doing because he had had a previous deployment to where they were kind of in our shoes they got dropped the cop and they were like go get taliban dudes yeah he did Mm -hmm. that the whole deployment so he he knew what we were going through and he could see probably in our faces like just like how exhausted we were Mm -hmm. you know from dealing with that every day 
like day in day out. So he, they were very sympathetic to what we were going through up there. Yeah. Then also it's Spurwingard. It's like a, it's iconic for them. Yeah, it's an ODA like kind of. It's a big deal because they they went through some shit taking that base. Yep. Yeah. yeah there's like, a lot of ownership yeah. with with uh, Spurwingard associated with the special forces. Absolutely. Teams. I mean, and to anybody who hasn't read the book, I mean, read Lines of Kandahar. That book is insane. Yeah. It's nuts it's what they, them and the Canadians did. It's it's insane. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. It makes so. what we what makes like what it makes what we mm-hmm. did look like yeah. just eating cheesecake. Well they, they fought like a, yeah. a Vietnam style battle. Hey, take Hill three sixty four. Yeah. And there's thousands and of dudes defending it. You know, it's like a thousand that Taliban. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. And you know, and, and a lot of the average person doesn't even know about that. Yeah. You know, that they were they think that we're out there, you know, fighting, you know, a gorilla or something. They were fighting like very well like trained, battle. like yeah. battle hardened dudes, you know. So that was a tough fight. Yeah, yeah. You know? So you said very iconic to the SF yeah, community. So I think that's why they cared so much. I think, yeah, and also I think you know they kind of wished that they were doing what we were doing mm-hmm. because their mission set at the time was nowhere near as no kinetic. They, they you, yeah. know, you know, they you could tell when they actually got to go on a patrol, they were so stoked just mm-hmm. to be outside. Well, they were they yeah. were doing the more what a lot of people don't know about special forces yeah. too. Like their primary mission is they to were. teach. You're right. It's a teach. Yeah. You know, is to to go in these countries, help the indigenous population resist, right? Whatever tyranny they're dealing with, and that's what they were doing. Which is like, I mean, and those does love to teach. I mean, how many classes did we go to with them? Oh yeah, tons. You know, I went to three mm-hmm. with them, and they were they were so they were so eager to teach this stuff. They loved it, and I'm, yeah. that's they were great, man. I mean, such a great asset to have there, mm-hmm. and they were so willing to share their knowledge and and whatever they had with us yeah mm-hmm. yeah shout out to those like, guys the yeah gustav class yeah yeah shout out for the 18 delta for helping me so many times yeah <laughs> whoever you are i don't know your name but you're the man <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i mean i guess that really does kind of like wrap up that mission that first firefight that we yeah. went to i mean it was i mean it was short-lived you know it was short-lived but i mean we got there's a little bit of everything in that one mm-hmm. you know there's AT4s, there were 40 millimeter grenades, mm-hmm. combat dumps, you know, people getting their CIVs, new guy curse. <laughs> it was the first time we took the new guys out on a yeah. dismounted patrol. And that man, that that stuck true through the whole deployment. It did. Hard. Every time, every time you get someone new, yep. you just knew, you're like, when's it coming? Yep. It's <laughs> yeah. coming. It's going to happen. I, I can't you know? think of a single time we took in, uh, it One. was somebody's first dismounted patrol and we did nothing happen. Once. Who? Lloyd. Really? Mm-hmm. Lloyd, mm. Lloyd was weird and it freaked me out because I remember every time we got someone new, you know, Tallman, uh, Roberts, mm-hmm. all those dudes, every time we got someone new, it was like first, first thing first was day. before you even yeah. get settled in, let's go out and get a firefight real quick. Yeah, the <laughs> Taliban knew they were like, oh, they got a new guy. Let's go yeah. break him in, you know, and they got, <laughs> um, but with Lloyd, it was weird. And it was like mm. weeks. I remember because we had a little lull. Remember, like yeah. in the summer, we had like a two week lull. It was very strange. I think they were uh, ripping in, ripping out new Taliban yeah. guys or something. Probably. Got to fill the shirt. Yeah, they, they, were, they were on their mid tour leave. Right, right, right. In right, right. Waziristan. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember <laughs> going out and just being like, getting nervous, like, oh. Come on. What almost feels like it's it. building, right? Yeah, like it's like the longer it. it doesn't happen, the worse it's mm-hmm. going to be. It's almost like when someone yeah. has like a uh, like a slap it with you and they're just holding <laughs> it over your head and you're just like, oh, like just do it, man. Get it over with. And that's what it felt like. Yeah. You know, it's like but yeah. it went all like that for two weeks and it was like, dude, it was it was just weighing on me so heavily. And when we finally got it out of the way, I was like, oh, thank God. 
you know, which is a weird thing to say when you get shot at, but you know, because <laughs> it, it was scary. Because you're thinking, like, what is this building up to? Like, yeah, is this going to be like some crazy, like, fighting off the hordes and like, you know, run out of ammo and throwing rocks at people or something? <laughs> you know, it's scary. But it's it interesting up. you mentioned that because you're kind of jogging my memory. Like, I, I'd forgotten about what that was like. Yeah. When there would be these lulls. And I feel like we rarely went more than two or three weeks. Yeah, very. Maybe three weeks at yeah. most. Yeah. Without a firefight. So, when, yeah, I, mm. I forgot that when yeah. it would be a couple of weeks and we didn't see any contact, we would start to yeah, wonder, like, like, what's what's coming, mm. you know? Like, it was this weird, ominous feeling that we were going to walk into, like, a 20-man ambush one day or something, which never really happened, but it was just... Well, especially when it was, like, a company-wide yeah. lull. Like, it'd be yeah. different if, like, yeah. if our squad just went, like, a certain number of patrols without running into something, but we still heard that, oh, third got into something third. or something got into something. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, okay, well, you know, we're just whatever... But when they're like, no, it's been quiet. Like we, yeah, you know, the Afghans are really willing to go out with us, and like we're like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's weird too, because it's like, excuse me, it's almost harder, you know, because you're kind of in that yeah. rhythm of we're gonna go out, we're gonna get shot at, we're gonna shoot back, we're gonna come back, and then when right. it stops after a while, it, you kind of get out of that groove, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's, I feel, I think I felt more anxious about going out when we didn't get shot at for a while because then Me you're too. like what's going on like <laughs> well, and then you really start thinking about it then you're like what if this happens or yeah. what if that happens yeah. whereas like you're just used to the constant yeah we're going to this town okay we're probably okay. gonna get like we're, about we're right gonna, around yeah, here probably gonna get shot. Yeah. <laughs> you know like, <laughs> right so around the magical tree line 500 yeah. meters to the east of spare one guard yeah. yeah and i think it's just kind of the unknown you know because yeah. it's like you don't really know mm-hmm. what's going on because this is was weird are they building something big or am I going to get complacent and, right. and do something stupid? And, you know, I mean, and also like yeah. once you got into that firefight on a patrol, you're like, okay. I mean, it's, unless it was like a weird day, like yeah. little crawl day, which we'll talk about um, soon, you know, usually you got one fight, one good fight on a patrol. And then you're like, the birds came overhead and they, the birds shot or something happened mm-hmm. and like, Hey, they're running off. You're like, okay, we're, we're probably good the rest of the day now. Yeah. Um, for the mm-hmm. most part, for the most part. Yeah. Um, no, not always true. Especially mm-hmm. if you're on your way back. If yeah. you like got in a gunfight and you're on your way back, you're like, yeah, we're like we're, we're free. probably good. Except for like one or two times. Yeah. But but to not take one at all, yeah. but to constantly be inspecting it, be like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you wonder what's going on. But yeah, for sure. Well, for our, our <laughs> listeners, we have made the uh editorial decision to make Tom Evans episode a two parter. And next week we're going to talk about two really iconic missions from the deployment. Um uh, one is going to be we've referred to it as low crawl day several times. That's gonna be a pretty heavy Luke and Tom discussion because yeah. I was mostly yeah. a spectator for that one. Oh yeah. Well, to, we'll go into detail on that one because that's um, that's we was great. Low that day is indicative of what it was like to fight in Panjway. Yes, yeah. it really was. You know, Absolutely. Like it's the case study for fighting in Panjway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also we'll talk a good bit about throat chop. Yeah. Um, which is very similar in terms of it was very indicative what it was like to fight in Panjway, but also because, as we mentioned before, it's kind of the penultimate mission for that yeah. deployment. Um, and it's also where, you know, Tom's story in Panjway ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we wanted to make sure we dedicated a proper amount of time to talking about those those two experiences um, and not try to drag this out for, for three hours. So yeah. uh, to our listeners, we appreciate yeah, you hanging out and, uh, you know, I don't know, kind of closing thoughts to close this one out. What do you guys got? 
Uh, stay tuned for yeah. <laughs> the inaugural Gustav shot by yours truly. Yeah, the yeah, story of go, the yeah. first Gustav shot. <laughs> when I cemented my status as the legendary Gustav gunner for the rest of the deployment. You get, your, uh, get your Vaseline ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still waiting to hear the story about the one ear, one finger in the ear and the one hand on the Gustav. Oh, uh, we, we talked about that in Phil's episode. Did you? So you're a little bit behind. Oh, did I miss that one? Yeah. I missed that part of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have to re-listen. You're a terrible guest, know, not I'm even awful, listening to the podcast. I did listen to all of them except for prices. Okay. All right. Well, we're not even going to continue until uh, until Tom catches up yeah, on well, the podcast. I'll so. see you guys yeah. in about four months. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you next week.